such a catch. I'm Erin and I am excited to share this powerful story with you today. For the past few weeks, I've had the absolute privilege of chatting with some amazing women. Women who are playing a leading role in their lives, whether it be through their career, a passion, a desire to help others, or today, a will to live. I've really dug this experience. I love meeting new people. I mean, there is no such thing as stranger danger when it comes to me. (laughs) But making new connections and learning are probably two of my favorite things. I feel like sometimes I'm just a sponge. I want to soak it all up. (laughs) And I have. I have a takeaway from each woman who's been a part of the She Can Do It, the Empowerment Series. I've also realized a lot about myself, and I don't think I recognized that was going to be something that would occur during this process, these short series of episodes, but it's amazing what can happen when you look inward, you choose to be vulnerable, and you learn from other people's experiences. Big things, big things happen. (laughs) So here's the deal. I'd love to keep chatting with boss babes and influential gals. I'd love to keep hearing their stories. I'd love to keep learning about their passions. But this leading lady, she also wants to get back to dishing all things relationships. You guys have been on a few dates and I haven't even had the chance to share them with you. Plus, after you meet my guest today and you hear her story, you'll realize she dropped the mic on the She Can Do It, the Empowerment series. No, figuratively, she dropped the mic. Oh, fair warning. Uh, This episode, it includes some graphic details of my guest, Sherry Quay's journey with cancer, but I commend her. I commend her for being so honest. I commend her for being an open book and just sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly with what she's up against, so... Yes, you may also want to grab a tissue. I am so excited today. I have Sherry Kwai on the show. Sherry is a mother, a wife, a nurse, and a friend to Veronica, who you know is one of the producers of my show. So I'm so excited to talk to you, Sherry. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, and I wish you guys could see her. So she's she's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So and sweet. she's got a great story to share with us. So when I was talking to Veronica about the different women that, you know, I've been bringing onto the podcast and, and their stories and such, you were somebody who came to her mind immediately. And she's like, I look up to Sherry. She is such an inspiration. Like she is going through a really challenging time right now. And she does it with grace and positivity. And, you know, she just really puts things into perspective. So Sherry, can you share with my listeners kind of your journey and what you're going through right now? Yeah, life has been absolutely insane for the last like year and a half because a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. And it's just been a ride to say the least. Mm -hmm. So can you walk me through like, how did that come to fruition? Like, how did you get that diagnosis? Were you not feeling well? You know, what did that look like? So no, that's the crazy thing is I actually felt perfect. Um, Minus Mm -hmm. I was starting to have some gastrointestinal changes that Mm -hmm. I was recognizing, but I was pregnant. I have an 11-year-old and then I have a four-year-old. And then we decided to get this in 2016. We decided to try another time for one more child. And I got pregnant and I got pregnant. I remember we had gone to New York just on my husband, just my husband and I on a fun little trip. I'd never been to New York before. We just got back and I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. Well, uh-huh. literally days later, I started noticing a little bit of blood in my stool, faint blood. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything crazy. Uh-huh. It was just a, a little bit. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, so 
my profession, I let me just backtrack just a tiny bit. I am an advanced practice nurse, a CRNA, which is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. So it's an advanced practice nursing degree with a specialty in anesthesia. So that's what I do at the hospital as oh, I do okay. anesthesia. Yeah. So I backtrack because, you know, of my degree, I just thought, hey, I must just be having some hemorrhoids. This is my third pregnancy. I am now 36 years old. Like, of course, my body's starting to fail me. <laughs> like all the right. things, you know, that <laughs> yeah. normal women yeah. like go through. You're just like, oh, hell, what's going next? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I just kind of chalked up as hemorrhoids, but I had my first 12-week doctor appointment with my OB. And I said, hey, you know, I've got some blood in my stool. And I had a male doctor at the time. And he was he was just like, yeah, it's pretty common. You're 36. You know, it's your third pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah, wee, wah, same thing. I was rationalizing, right? Right. So we kind of just let it ride. You know, I kept thinking to myself, God, I got this blood in my stool. I should probably get a colonoscopy myself. You know what I mean? Like, and I would talk to the doctors that I was working with. And I remember one of them distinctly saying, you know, all I need to do is a a digital examination and I'll be able to tell if you have cancer or not. And I was thinking, ooh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for that. Thank you. So, so anyway, I just kind of like, but in the back of my head, I had this like still small voice that was like, you probably need one of these, you know? Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, continue working. And what's interesting about that child I was carrying is at my 20-week ultrasound, we found out that she had all kinds of things going on with her. Oh. So uh-huh. she had a condition called heterotaxy, status ambiguous. And what that means is all of her internal organs were kind of flipped, but almost in an ambiguous configuration. So her heart had about seven different malformations with it. She had one of them was called coarctation of the aorta, where the aorta of her heart was really thin and narrowed. Transposition of the great vessels where her her pulmonary artery and her aorta were in the, the flip-flop positions, wow. which is like massive open heart surgery for a baby. And then she didn't only have all these issues with her heart. She had a liver that ran across her abdomen instead of being on the right side, kind of tucked under the rib cage. So at 20 weeks, things got real. I had to go mm-hmm. up to our children's hospital and have a fetal echocardiogram where we learned all the things that were wrong with her. That was about 22 weeks into my pregnancy. And, you know, originally when they said, we see a hole in her heart, I thought, oh, well, that's fine. It's a PFO, which is a patent frame in a valley. Most kids have those. You take their first breath of life and that closes and it's fine. So that's what I was thinking. I was Uh like, okay, she's going to be fine. But we learned that she was a lot more complicated at that 22-week fetal echocardiogram. And what's interesting is in the state of Utah, once you hit 24 weeks, you you can't have an abortion. Now, I didn't want to have an abortion. Right. But there's windows of options that you have uh-huh. until you hit a certain point. And so here we are 22 weeks and mm-hmm. I left primary children's and they told me that basically you can have this baby and we're going to rush her off to surgery. She's going to need two different open heart surgeries. One of them is going to fix that coarctation of aorta first, because if we did the other surgery, the fixing the great vessels surgery, it would put her into heart failure anyways, because she has this narrowing in her aorta, which is all kind of complicated. But nonetheless, they said that, then they said we'd have to do another open heart surgery and she'd probably live in the ICU for a while. And she, I mean, we're talking years. Anyways, they said she had a 30% chance of making it till she was five with all intervention. Ooh. That's the prognosis I was given for this little girl. And I was like, I could see, it was almost uh. like I had this vision of my child in the ICU while I was sponsoring the ICU economically through my insurance. And my husband and I, like almost losing our marriage and I have two other children at home that I was supposed to be a mother to but neglecting them to be in the ICU with this little baby that we were trying to keep alive I just had about a million visions at one time and I just knew there's no way like there's no way that I would put a human being through that type of anguish Mm-hmm. Right when they're introduced to life, to give them a thirty percent right. chance of making it to the five, like that sounded yeah. barbaric to me. 
peg tubes, feeding tubes, chest tubes, like all the things. And I was a cardiac ICU nurse for six years before I went to anesthesia school. So I could see all the things, you know, in my head. And I just was like, there is no way. So that sounded like a terrible option to me. And then the next option was, well, you could abort her. And I was thinking, well, that sounds like another terrible option because she's perfectly alive and kicking in my body. I feel her every day, every few minutes. Like she is alive, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and she's a human being, like fully developed arms and limbs and everything. And I just, too, with that was like, I can't, I cannot morally do that either. To me, that was way too late in life Mm -hmm. to abort her. And so the next option was to carry her to full term just to let her live like a day or two and just do comfort care. And she probably would have made it three days tops and then died. And that too, to think that I was halfway through my pregnancy, more than halfway through, to carry her her full term just to have her pass away was just a horrible thought. I would have never had another child. Right. And so I, mean, I don't even know how you're mentally Yeah, I just like, was going like, through this there, process. There like is, I I can't even imagine myself being in your shoes. It was awful. You know, like yeah, I, I bet. So we went home and I was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, to say the least. I just was thinking, dear Lord, like there's gotta be something better. And I just the thought came into my head, well, why couldn't I just have her now? Why couldn't I Ooh, just okay. be induced? And Uh give her a breath of life and lay her to rest and have it be a spiritual, very special experience. I don't want to get all emotional, but that's... I'm getting emotional. Yeah. Like, I just was like, holy cow. So I called my OBGYN and I said to him, and he was so sweet. Like, he gave me his cell phone so I could actually, like, talk to him as much as I needed to. And he was just... I said, can I just be induced? Like, can I have this Mm -hmm. baby? And I just want to give her a breath of life and and lay her to rest. I know she won't live long. He said, we probably can do that, but what we have to do is prove that she has a fatal diagnosis. And once we prove that, then we can go forward with it. Well, thankfully, this doctor and I have worked together at, in the hospital for a few years now. And so I was very familiar with the staff at my hospital that I was delivering at mm-hmm. just because I, you know, worked with all of them. And we were waiting for the children's hospital to send us all the information. Well, once again, we had this 24-week window to make that happen as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really stressful for a few days because at that point I had days to get this information back. So I had the option of being induced and Mm -hmm. doing it the way that my husband and I felt most peace and comfort with. Anyway, finally got it in the nick of time. My hospital, once they got the information, they they, they did um, confirm that it was a fatal diagnosis. They had a board that had to meet about it. Oh, um, wow. Then they, they said, okay, well, we can do this. So nonetheless, I ended up being induced. We had this sweet little baby. I left her attached to the cord for about five minutes so my husband and I could just be with her when she was born. And then we cut the cord and let all the family come in. And she lived about, I think, about five minutes or so. And then she passed away. And I felt her squeeze my finger. Um, She squeezed my finger again when my family walked in. It was the sweetest thing ever. And it ended up being a very spiritual experience. And what was so interesting about the whole thing, and not to get all spiritual, but when she was born, it was like life was still. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any emotion. It was like... I can't describe it. It was like life was just quiet and still and mm-hmm. we were just with her and I was without emotion because I was like just taking in this little baby. You were soaking in it yeah, all. Yeah, it was yeah. so strange mm-hmm. and I thought I would have been crazy mess, but I just literally had zero emotion. So when she passed, that's when I felt her spirit. So strange. Mm-hmm. It was almost mm-hmm. like it was almost like I felt this perfect little 16-year-old spirit this young woman, uh-huh. and she was just... What, what did you name her? I named her Eve Rose Kwai. Oh. Yeah, so... Okay, so that's that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was a very spiritual joking. experience, and we, we laid her to rest, and I felt really great about the whole thing. I really felt just connected to life and the life source, and so to take something that crappy and turn it into something so spiritually uplifting 
right. was a gift. I, it was a gift. Yeah. It was an amazing yeah. gift. And the great thing about it is I felt that I had some good closure so I could actually have another child. So I have two girls. She was my third girl. And uh-huh. six months later, we decided to try again, and I got pregnant. And we had a little boy. So oh. we got our little little buddy, and he is my lover man. I just <laughs> love that guy. He's two now. And I just want to make out with him all the time. <laughs> is that normal? <laughs> oh, my God. I love He's it. So I love cute. it. <laughs> but um, what's interesting about it is, so like I said, the blood started when I got pregnant with her, and it was faint. Six months later, after she passed away, the blood was still there. It hadn't gone away, and I thought that was kind of strange. I thought maybe things would kind of clear up, but it didn't. My OBGYN retired, so mm-hmm. I ended up getting a new one. Told her from day one that, hey, you know, I've got blood in my stool. And she's like, yeah, you're 37. You're just, it's what it is, fourth pregnancy, wah, wah, wee, wah, just yeah, same thing, you know? And I, same thing, was just like, ah. Oh. Well, I carried him full term, and as I continued with the pregnancy, there was a lot of pressure down south, and I just, there was a lot more blood that kept showing up mm-hmm. in my stool throughout the pregnancy. And I would tell her as the pregnancy went on, that, hey, I got more and more blood in my stool. And she's just like, yeah, he's getting bigger, you're carrying low, you know? And I, once again, was just like, freak, man, I'm done after this. I'm a mess, right, I'm a right. mess. <laughs> now, are you also like Google, like, I mean, I know you have a medical background, so you must be thinking like, there are some other things that this could be attributed to, but are like, I don't have a medical background. So if I had something like that happen to me, I would be all over Google and WebMD and just like well, here's the deal. researching the possibilities. What, 100%. But then again, I You're hearing this I have a medical a doctor, degree like, and I know yeah. that hemorrhoids is a great possibility and I'm healthy as can be. Like I right. I didn't have miserable pregnancies. Like I mm-hmm. I'm fit. I had, you know, just the basketball belly. Like I wasn't I didn't gain too much weight, you know? I mean, it was mm-hmm. just I just didn't think that cancer at my age was really was an issue. An option. Yeah. yeah. So what was a red flag for me was when I was delivering my son, I looked at my doctor straight in the eyes and I said, did you see any berries pop out of my bum? And she goes, uh-huh. no. And I thought, huh, that's not normal. And so that's what raised my eyebrows. And I was like, "Something's. Uh-huh. this is not, this is weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, but then yeah. again, I said to myself, well, let's let things clear up and we'll let the body return back to normal and we'll see if the pressure, when the pressure is gone from baby pushing down, like, you know, maybe things will just clear mm-hmm. up. And for sure, everything cleared up except the blood out of my bum. So two months into after having him, I sat down on the toilet to have a bowel movement and straight blood came out of my butt. Ooh. That was the next big thing. So he, like I said, he was two months at that time. I took a picture of it because what else do you do? Take a picture of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm oh weird. God. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Still have that picture, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, but I, the very next day, I was working at the hospital doing colonoscopies and finished my whole day and pulled the doctor off to the side. I said, hey, I want to show you this. And I pulled up my picture. I said, this was my bowel movement yesterday. I said, what do you think? And he goes, right. I would not take that lightly. And I said, okay. Mm. So I I ended up making an appointment with my favorite gastrointestinal doctor. And I ended mm-hmm. up seeing her PA. I got into her within a week. I showed her my picture. She too was like, yeah, it's probably a really bad hemorrhoid up there. We'll just band it. It'll fall out. Things will be fine. But we need to get you in for a colonoscopy. And I said, okay. But what's interesting is she did not do a digital examination again. And, I, and this is her specialty, which I would have thought that she would have. But mm-hmm. she didn't. But then again, it's not my specialty. So I don't know. Right. And you didn't ask I didn't for ask that. for it. I just got on the schedule for a colonoscopy. Well, I'm no emergency because I'm healthy and I don't look like an emergency. Right. So yeah. they and this doctor's very good at what she does. So the earliest that they could get me in was five weeks. Ooh. It was uh-huh. right. Now we're talking about yeah. I had to sit down on the toilet to have a bowel movement because there was a mass in my rectum. When I bared down, straight blood came out of my butt because there was a mass in my rectum. So I had the sensation that you would have, but it wasn't stool. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Now, yes. And I didn't know this, right? But at that point, five weeks was a long time. I was really starting to have symptoms, like significant mm-hmm. symptoms, where mm-hmm. I was like, 
okay, this that's kind of a long ways out and I'm starting to feel a little bit of stress, you know, like this is something I want to get checked out right away. Yeah. Plus you have a new baby. Plus you've had like all this stuff going on and I'm guessing you're you're still working and And my career was going really well. And on the side, I've always I've done injectables like um, Botox and fillers and that type of stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. it's become something that I do more, more honestly than anesthesia now, just because I've been doing it for so long. I've been doing it for 12 years now, almost. So that business was booming and I was doing freaking awesome with that. And the business was growing and it was just, I was really happy work-wise with where I was at. So Mm -hmm. nonetheless, five weeks, three and a half weeks into it, I had another blood episode where I sat down the toilet with straight blood and I was getting really stressed out at that point. So then I did what you were talking about and I started Googling. I'm like, did I get C. diff from one of my patients at the hospital? Mm -hmm. So I Google that. I'm like, C. diff, no, I don't have that. But cancer popped in my head and I Googled colon cancer. I literally had every single symptom of colon cancer listed listed oh, I just got the chills it was mm-hmm. it gave me the chills it was a Sunday night and I looked at my husband our little kids were in bed and I said babe I think I've got colon cancer and he goes no you don't have colon cancer there's no way you have colon cancer but can you get your colonoscopy done any earlier like how how can we make that happen and I said well I can do that I stole my doctor's phone number because I work with her <laughs> so um and I text her and I said Hey, Holly, this is Sherry. I do anesthesia with you. I said, just want you let you know that I have a colonoscopy scheduled with you in a week and a half, and I can wait that long. But if there's any way to get me in earlier, these are my symptoms, and I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous about it. Can you get me in any earlier? Mm-hmm. And she texted me back pretty much right away, and she said, we can do you on Friday. And I said, done. So I made arrangements, and we had that done. And she, too, when she was rolling me back, was just like, just so you know, you probably have a big hemorrhoid. We'll just band it. You cool if we just do take care of it? And I said, sure. Yes, of course. Take care mm-hmm. of this problem. Yeah. <laughs> right, she right. She was in there for an hour and a half. And colonoscopies are 20 minutes usually. Ugh. And she, when I woke up, she goes, this is the worst part about my job. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? You don't even have to tell me. I already know. She goes, yeah, we got to get you off to CT. And I said, all right. So we went to CT. Now the the CT came back and there were small spots in my lungs in addition to Mm. the colon cancer. And the interesting thing is the whole time frame from being pregnant from 2016, losing a child, getting pregnant again was probably close to two years. I mean, it was six months in between carried the one baby for six months. Then I had a nine-month pregnancy. Do you know what I mean? And then two months later is when we're discovering all this stuff. So it was close to two years of Mm -hmm. growing cancer from the first symptom. Right. So originally, we I can't even describe the emotions when I went and met with a colorectal surgeon and she described to me that it's probable that I have stage four colorectal cancer. I literally had anger, like anger, mm-hmm. anger that was beyond like I could have picked up a car and thrown it across a parking lot. I could have literally yeah. punched a pillar, pillar of a building and watched it crumble, that kind of anger. Because right. my whole life I've worked out five, six t- days a week since I was 18 yeah. and healthy yeah. and thought mm-hmm. to myself, how is that even possible? I've always eaten well and – you know, uh-huh. I've never had any other – I've never had eating disorders or anything. You know what I mean? It's just – Right, right. Like how is this even – right. I was doing everything. I yeah. wasn't a drug user. I wasn't abusing alcohol. I wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, all the things that like you do to just be healthy. And so I was like, how in the hell did this happen to me uh-huh. type anger? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I can I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And just I'm so young and I have – a young, a brand new baby and a young family and just was nuts. Nonetheless, I've had to work with some emotional counseling to clear that Mm -hmm. type of stuff up, which we've done. And I don't feel anger anymore. So that's good. But yeah, when that all took place, I just thought, what am I going to do? You know? Mm -hmm. And then the first thing that popped in my head was, I think I got cancer because I drank 
aspartame and fake sugar. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. that's the so only that's- thing that I can think of that I did consistently for a long time that would have altered genes enough to allow cancer to form. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because, um, you know, and excuse my ignorance, but I, I don't really know how that type of, you know, cancer comes about. So so this is a thing. So it can be from fake sugar. Well, here's the deal. For a long time, I've had this still small voice again in the back of my head, and I'm talking about years, saying don't drink that. And uh-huh. it all started, you know, I, I, I'm from Oregon, from Portland, Oregon. And we're all hippies out there. Like, I never grew up on this crap. Like, we grew up just, like, all the clean things. And, you know, my dad was a very balanced cook where he always had vegetables with the protein and some kind of good carb. And anyways, that's how I grew up. We never drank soda, never drank anything with fake sugar. It was just really water, Mm -hmm. maybe a juice if I wanted something sweet, you know. Mm -hmm. But I came out to college at 18 and I had a roommate that was drinking diet coke and I was like why are you drinking diet yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she's like oh because it has no calories and I remember thinking what are calories you know (laughs) right yeah like what's that (laughs) she's like I miss I mean you're 18 you're dumb right and she's like yeah she's like oh well calories is what makes you gain weight and get fat and I was like Oh, well, I don't want to do that. I might as well drink diet too. <laughs> right. Dawn, the diet um, drinks. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then became the love affair with diet. Yeah. Coke. And I remember yeah, thinking, okay. God, this mm-hmm. tastes good. Doesn't make fat. We're good. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I can live off this stuff. So, right? yeah. And I got addicted to the little bit of caffeine in my life. And I started drinking, like going to gas stations, getting like 32 ounce. Diet Dr. Peppers, I remember mm-hmm. loving those. I would literally go work mm-hmm. out and then go straight to the gas station, get a 32-ounce Diet Dr. Pepper, and life was good, right? Right. Uh-huh. So once I got pregnant with my first child at 25, I remember thinking, I don't I don't like Diet Dr. Pepper. I just don't – I didn't want it. I wanted juice. I wanted lemonade. But heaven uh-huh. forbid I drink caloric lemonade, so I started drinking Crystal Light. And uh-huh. I – consumed crystal light from 25 until I got diagnosed with cancer. And I started drinking those crystal light with energies. And that was my source of caffeine. And I thought it was better than drinking really anything else because I thought I was just flavoring water. Mm-hmm. Well, come to find out, aspartame is converted to methanol, which is converted to formaldehyde, which is 100% carcinogenic in your body. 100% carcinogenic. Oh Not God. only uh-huh. are you infusing your water with a carcinogen, but you're also changing the pH of your water and putting acid into your water, which is perfect medium for cancer to thrive and grow. You're mm. Coupled with other chemicals like red number whatever and blue number whatever and maltodextrin, which is a genetically modified corn product, byproduct of corn. And it's just like I was – I was drinking two packets of that a day, one in the morning and usually one around four to pick me back up again. And little did I know that every day I was poisoning my body, every day. And then on occasion when we went to restaurants, I would drink a Diet Coke too with dinner, you know. Mm -hmm. I was also consuming those premier protein drinks from Costco when I wanted a quick protein boost. Those are full of asuflame potassium, which is just as bad as aspartame. I was, you know, sucralose is everywhere. And I just, mm. I just remember thinking like, this stuff is poison, all of it, all of it. So I literally did massive pantry cleaning out and changed my diet 100%, went vegan for like a year and some change and did all the natural things that I could possibly do to fight cancer along with conventional medicine. And to this day, I have had 14 rounds of conventional chemotherapy. I did not lose all my hair completely, but it did thin to like Mm -hmm. half the volume that I had before. And it's coming back. I wear hair extensions now to blend it to make it look like I'm not sick. Because part of my mind is if I can continue to look healthy, then I don't let my mind think that I'm sick. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I no, absolutely. I need yeah. to live through this. I need to power through this because I have to for my kids and for my husband and I and I love life. I absolutely love life. Right. And 
I've come in a year and a half, I've come to that place where I'm not really afraid to die. I'm really not afraid to die at all. I just don't want to die. I love life. Yeah. I'm not ready yeah. to die not yet. yet. You have a lot of things you need to still accomplish and see. Totally. And memories to make with your children. I just love life. And- I just look outside and I see the mountains and I, and I just, I want to breathe. I want to take it all in. I see the laughter of my children. I love life yeah. like to its fullest. Right. And so, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm, you know, mentally preparing as, you know, kind of we all could get in a car accident tomorrow and pass away. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so it's just one of those things that, but it just seems a little bit more real for me that right. it could happen in the next three to five years. You know what I mean? Oh. Anyway, where we're at right now is that I've had all the chemo. I have mm-hmm. had the colon, the cancer in my rectum removed. And so I had okay. about a foot of my rectum taken out. So my colon has been reconfigured. I did have to have an ileostomy bag, which is a poo bag. So I lived through <laughs> a poo bag with my uh-huh. family and my sweet husband who Wow. wow. Like he Yeah, wow. It's yeah. got some serious That's unconditional love. love for me and I don't even know how cuz I'll tell you some graphic stuff. There was a time, several times, well, I think about 3 4 times while I had an ileostomy bag that it filled up in the middle of the night and burst. And there was oh literally uh-huh. poo all over our bed at 2 3 in the morning. Oh God. And you can't just like clean it up and roll over. No, you got to flip the lights on, take all the sheets off. Your yeah. husband gets wow. to smell yeah. it. It's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, and it, yeah. But at the same time, it saved my life with colon with yeah. colon cancer. So we did that. We powered through that. That was two months of having the ileostomy bag. And there's some ugly that you know people just don't realize that goes along with those that have those. And um, they're strong individuals. I yeah. I literally give a shout out to anyone who lives with a colostomy bag or an ileostomy bag permanently because it would have it could have been a position that I was in too and it was the most humbling experience probably of my life I'll be honest to have Mm -hmm. that and but at the same time I got a little pouch for it I took my kids to the pool with it looks like I was wearing a fanny pack like went to the gym like you just move on with life you just keep playing through the last thing I was going to do is let these little babies not experience life because mom has poo bag (laughs) yeah Well, I love that too, because it kind of goes along with you wanting to maintain your healthy outward appearance and stuff. It's like, you're not going to let this dictate what you can and can't do. And I mean, you know, you're making me think of times where I haven't done things because of, you know, like body image issues. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like- you got one life to live. Yes. And life is a gift and you have to- live it to the fullest. And yeah, I mean, I commend you for that. And and it sets a beautiful example for your children also. And and anyone really who understands and knows your story and what you were going through. It's so true. You know, I read The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Roos. And he writes in there, there's a piece that stuck out in my mind. And I'll never forget it. But he, and it's something that we all should keep in mind because it's true. When you look at a frog, and you see a little frog, you don't think to yourself, well, that frog is better looking than that frog. So I think I'm going to grab that frog and take that frog home with me and make it my pet. A frog is a frog is a frog to us. We look at a frog and we think they're all amazing and they're all beautiful and they're (laughs) funky little creatures that cruise around in the water. Well, guess what? We're the same. A human is a human is a human. We really shouldn't be so caught up on comparing ourselves and like image and, you know, we could go down that road too. But we ha- if we can remember that in our own minds, then we can remember that we've got one life to live. We can be empowered by that and go live your life. Like go take your kids to the yeah. pool if you don't think that you like your body. I had a poo bag mm-hmm. and I took my kids to the pool yeah. and I thought people would wonder what the hell that was, but I wanted my kids you to be in the sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So so where are you now? Like what is your treatment look so like? So currently in- so where we're at now, I finished all of that, took took the cancer out, and then the spots in my lungs became the focus. So we took we did a scan in um October 
this last year, so October 2019, and then we did another scan in January 2020, and we wanted to see if these spots were real, if they were cancer or not. And because when I was on chemo, the spots had not grown at all. Like it was the chemo kept them at like from growing for at bay. Mm-hmm. Well, in that three months, uh, the next scan, everything had grown. So the spots in my lungs, I'm pretty confident are cancer. They're all still small. They're all uh-huh. sub-centimeter minus one, meaning they're all less than a centimeter in size. Minus one is like 12 millimeters, so it's just a little bit over a centimeter. Okay. But I have a really intelligent friend, and he is like a mathematician slash engineer. Like this guy is a genius. And I I had to get – every single one of my my nodules sized from the October scan to the January scan. And he put those spots into an equation for an ellipse and calculated tumor volume doubling volume, time. So how long it takes for my tumors to double in time. And we, if the growth was consistent, then mm-hmm. we've we've calculated that this largest spot that I have in my lungs will be the size of a racquetball, like a fisted racquetball, uh-huh. in about a year and four months. I don't Whoa. have one spot. I have eight. So oh. we're, we could be in a serious life-threatening situation. Now, the reason that's so important is because that gives me a time frame. How quick mm-hmm. I have to work to dis- to figure out how to cure myself where mm-hmm. I need to go to get into clinical trials, what I need to learn about my cancer to mm-hmm. make the best possible decisions that I can from this point forward mm-hmm. because lung cancer is real, okay? It's like yeah. it, it's a life-threatening organ unlike, you know, it's somewhere else in your body that isn't quite as fatal. The right. lungs are a little important. You kind of need them. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we did. So we did that literally this month, in the beginning of the month. And I decided that I was going to learn everything I possibly can about my cancer. This is where we're at now. I went to Sloan Kettering um, in December of 2018 when I first got diagnosed. And I had them do genetic testing. Now, I recommend if there's anyone out there with cancer – This is step number one. If you get diagnosed with Mm -hmm. cancer, you absolutely need to have genetic testing done. Now, I'm not talking about wondering if this is going to be passed on to your kids. What I'm talking Mm -hmm. about is that they take your tumor or a sample from your tumor and they test it against your healthy tissue and they find out what went wrong. Okay. When they find out what went wrong, then you could know what caused your mutation because clearly you have a mutation or you would not have cancer. There does not exist a cancer that doesn't have a mutation. So number one, get genetic testing done. Now, the beautiful thing about Sloan Kettering is if you can get your butt to New York to have it done, it's free. They do 468 genes. Yes. It's amazing. Where here in Utah, I went to a facility and they were like, we want to do genetic testing on you. We're going to test 20 genes and it's going to cost you $200. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. I was pretty confident yeah. this wasn't a genetic issue. Some, when I say that, like something that was passed on to me from you know my family line, I was confident that it was crystallite. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> crystallite gave me cancer. I hate you, crystallite. <laughs> I know. During when you were talking about that, I thought, God, I'm going to go up to the pantry and to the fridge and throw everything out. Do it. <laughs> like, Seriously. I need 100% to, yes. do it. Yes. And I'm not uh, even kidding you. Those who drink that stuff, like, you're asking for it. Because if I can, yeah. I can drink that stuff in, what was it, a course of 10 plus years, and my dad smoked cigarettes for 30 plus years and still doesn't have lung cancer, there's something seriously carcinogenic yeah. about it. Uh-huh. Sorry, Crystalite. Owned by Nabisco. Don't be, don't be sorry. It's fine. Don't be sorry. Yeah. Or Kraft. I don't know who they're owned by. I think it's Kraft. <laughs> Anyways. So go and get your genetic testing done because once you know what you're working with, then you can dive into your mutation. So that's what I've done. Literally like two weeks ago, I sat down and I had my paperwork from Sloan Kettering. It usually takes them about a month and a half to process your results. P.S. Okay. So I had my my <laughs> paperwork and I – 
wrote down on the top of my notebook, KRAS. I'm like, what is this KRAS mutation that I have? And I decided to Wikipedia. So here's the beautiful Mm -hmm. thing about Wikipedia. It is constantly updated by professionals who know these things, geneticists Mm -hmm. and just different people. They're constantly checks and balances. So you can learn a lot off of Wikipedia. It's an amazing resource tool. And that's what I did. I started with Wikipedia and I wrote down KRAS and I learned within two days its exact pathway, its metabolic pathway, and understanding how it creates, goes into the nucleus of the cell and and causes transcription and translation and and makes the cell divide. And my specific mutation is with this KRAS that is constantly turned into the on position, meaning there's an off position and an on position with KRAS. Well, in a healthy cell, that's the case. In a cancer cell with a KRAS mutation, it's constantly in the on position. It's not in the off position. So it's just firing all the pathways to go down into the nucleus and cause that cell to rapidly divide. Okay. Well, the second thing is in the last 30 years, they have tried to target a KRAS mutation with targeted therapies. They've tried to come up with a Uh drug that will target KRAS by itself and turn it off. And for 30 years, they've been unsuccessful to do so. The cool thing is, is lately I've heard that there is some new drugs in the pipeline to target KRAS mutations. But here's the most beautiful thing about understanding your mutation. Once you understand it, then you can understand its metabolic pathway. And what I mean by that is how the cancer utilizes energy, what it what it mm. uses to feed itself. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. And I'll get back to that in a minute. You can also learn how it responds to the immune system, which will let you know, am I a target for immunotherapy? Could that be something that would work better for me than just doing traditional chemo and radiation? And if I did that, do you know what you're doing? You're boosting your immune system to allow the, the immune system to attack the cancer on its own. And if you can do that, then you bypass all the side effects of traditional chemotherapy and radiation. And you could Mm -hmm. just hone in on curing yourself via your own body by something that just kind of like a medicine that that targets that specifically. So Uh that's awesome. Wow. And then then you can also know if there's any medicines out there that are targeted specifically for your mutation. So absolutely getting genetic testing – I, I really feel like when I'm done with all this, I will write a little, it could be a book, it could be a brochure to, to walk yeah. people through <laughs> what they need right. to do step by step. Because if I had had yeah. this information, if I had known to study this back when I first got diagnosed, I could have saved my immune system from all the beat down that it took from 14 rounds yes. of chemotherapy. Uh-huh. From uh-huh. I'm really thankful that I did go along with the surgery and remove the cancer from my rectum. And if I could take the cancer out of my lungs, I probably would. But because there's eight spots and they're all small, it would be a chop shop in there on my lungs. And that's Mm -hmm. not a possibility. The reason I say that is because I have since learned that my cancer, there really isn't a cure for it right now. Like they have tried to come up with different combinations of drugs to tackle KRAS, but they're not perfect because it's a very intelligent mutation that can take different pathways to get back into the nucleus cell and do the same thing, cause it to, to mm-hmm. replicate. So there really isn't anything out there right now specifically for that. But that doesn't mean I'm not optimistic and hopeful because currently at this moment, I have put myself on a slew of medicines that target its metabolic pathway. So I have given myself a list of things to target how it takes up sugar, how it takes Uh up glutamine, and how it takes up fatty acid synthesis. And those are the three real metabolic pathways that cancer uses to utilize energy that it needs to grow and divide. If you Uh stop those things, then you can put your cancer into an energetic crisis and it doesn't know what to do and it increases Mm -hmm. all its free radicals and it ends up dying and ends up going into apoptosis, which is cellular death. So I've put myself on that. I'm pretty optimistic about that. Um, coupled with high-dose vitamin C infusions, and I can explain more about that. I mean, literally can talk to you for way longer than an hour. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
well, we I can have round two. Also fascinating. I mean, yeah, honestly. Well, yeah, we are, we will have a round two because you're gonna come back after you've beat this and be like, okay, this is it took what we thirty years do. of research, and in year thirty one, we came up with the solution. So totally, and I mean, that could very well like you could be on to this amazing thing that could change the world and and anybody who's impacted and has the same mutation as you do I mean right yeah it's true and one other thing I want to mention and I don't know who said this the other day or if I saw this online or something but there was something to the effect like I could either make the changes to my diet or make the changes to my lifestyle when I get the diagnosis or I could do it today 100%. in attempts to, you know, better my health and improve my chances of not being forced to make those choices, you know. And also, you probably, you know, if you're if you're making those choices now, like it just it it just leaves you open to better health in general, right? It's so true. I mean, it, like I have an Instagram and I put a lot of my cancer stories on there, but my whole purpose is to help those that are healthy not get into the situation that I'm in. You know what I mean? If I can help one person make a a little change in their life that is for the better. And I I did all the natural things when, you know, I was unaware of my actual mutation. I just did all the things that were holistic with diet and meditation. And I bought an infrared sauna and I was doing all those types of things to, to, to beat this. Mm-hmm. And that's all amazing, especially for you. I'm a little bit different now because once you have the diagnosis, there's things that are healthy for you that might not necessarily be healthy for me. Mm-hmm. But I promoted all that for over a year. I mean, the celery yeah. juice every single day. I still drink 16 ounces of celery juice first thing on an empty stomach every morning Think thanks to medical uh-huh. medium. You know, I still do that. And right. it's amazing what it does for you. Uh-huh. But but yeah, like I think when you, if you can learn anything, learn how to just prevent, 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 prevent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you're not mm-hmm. stuck in this crazy. And I want people to see how awful it is because I want them to really say to themselves, I don't want to drink that shit. I just don't yeah. want to do this yeah. to myself. Is it worth it? Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's definitely not. Well, I thank you so much. You are such an inspiration. Like your your mindset, your, you know, just desire to to live and to beat this and to be an example and to share your story like an open book. I mean, I don't even think there's words to describe that, but I so appreciate you taking your time to be with me and to share this with all my listeners. And um, if they want to follow you on Instagram and watch your journey and encourage you as well, how can they find you? So my Instagram is called Young Beauty NP for nurse practitioner. I call all my my clients Young Beauties. <laughs> uh, and it is my inject- injection account, but I have a lot more followers on that. So I post all my cancer updates on that account. But you can also see some before and after pictures, which are just kind of entertaining. <laughs> irony that I'm like in that industry and now I'm battling cancer, had a poo bag. It's fine. (laughs) So I'm like, you think that I would be all about beauty and all that, but I'm not. I'm like, it's beautiful being beautiful and doing the things that make you feel beautiful. I still do that for myself because it makes me feel pretty. It makes me feel good. You know what I mean? But it's definitely not what defines me or you or anyone out there. And I... A lot of my clients, I, I pride myself on being a very natural anti-aging injector. So um, you'll see that a lot of the stuff that I do is just restoration, a lot more restoration than mm-hmm. augmentation and just keeping you you and letting you feel like when you look in the mirror, there's some congruency with how you feel inside. But yeah, so it is my injection account. But in there, I post all my real cancer stuff. So well, thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. I wish you all the best. And when I come you. to Utah to see Stephen and Veronica, you give me I'm a hug. going to hunt you down. I yes. want a hug. <laughs> give, me the big, <laughs> give me the biggest hug. Oh, my gosh. You're amazing. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into your Such a Catch. Let me guess, you're madly cleaning out your fridge or your pantry, throwing out anything and everything that's harmful. I know I just did that. I will also say I tried celery juice. 
I dug deep in the back of my cupboard, found my juicer, and fired that puppy up. I mean, God knows how long it's been in there and not been used, but I will say I, I liked it. And knowing the health benefits of celery juice, I think I might keep that up. But you know, it's important that we make all of these habit changes and to take a more proactive approach with our health. I think often we're so consumed with the outward appearance of health with the number on the scale and how we look in the mirror that we forget that all of this stuff is going on internally. And Sherry definitely inspired me to start thinking about the things that I'm putting into my body. I hope you had that same realization. I will also say that hearing Sherry's story about her mindset and how she views things, I just got this overwhelming sense of, you know, she just has this zest for life. This zest that sometimes I think we can take for granted. I know I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I am so consumed with the hustle and bustle, my to-do list, you know, what I have to do, um, you know, for work in the upcoming week that I forget to take a moment and just appreciate the fact that I'm breathing, that I can hear the birds chirping outside, that I got to watch the sunrise. And Sherry reminded me to do those things, to take it all in, to recognize that each day is truly a gift. And although we don't know where our journeys are going or where they're taking us, we can realize that we're not gonna get anywhere without our health. So if you can take a moment today to just be grateful for your health, Try to maintain a positive mindset and always put up the good fight. Sherry, you were in my thoughts, in my prayers, and I am so appreciative to you for sharing your story with not only me, but with all my listeners. March is Women's History Month. Now we've got a little head start because we have been recognizing women who are making big things happen today in present day. But don't forget, you can purchase your favorite gal a tangible reminder that she is out there slaying. Visit the Empowerment Pin Collection on my website, yoursuchacatch.com. And if you dug this series, the She Can Do It, the Empowerment series, please drop a rate or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. I love the feedback. It is honestly the best form of encouragement and motivation to keep on keeping on. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. And until next week, be good.